We're continuing on through the book of Acts in Acts chapter 9. We'll be looking at verses 26 through 28 this morning. We've seen the progression for Saul. He moves from Jew to Christian, from lost to saved, from persecutor to persecuted. Now we'll look at something else, something that seems quite evident. We see it in verse 19. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then, then Saul spent some days with the disciples in Damascus. When his physical needs were taken care of, food and restoration of health, the first thing that he did was to seek out fellowship with other believers. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples in Damascus. Before he did anything else, he sought out the people of God, the church in Damascus. Now we saw the last time how Jesus had set up a, or the Jews, excuse me, had set up a plot to kill Saul. A plot that even involved the governor and some of his troops. But the plot was leaked. And Saul was helped by those very believers to escape. Lowered down the wall in a basket. You see, the guards were watching on the inside, waiting for him to come out of the city towards the gate. They weren't on the outside looking for him to come in. And so they lowered him outside the wall. So Saul's next stop would be there in Jerusalem. And upon arriving in Jerusalem, what is the first thing that he did? Well, in verse 26, and when Saul came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles, and he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And so he was with them at Jerusalem, coming in and going out. So the first thing that happens when he comes to Jerusalem is this. He tries to join the disciples. Now this is the first part of of two parts of this passage. First we'll have the hunger, and then secondly we'll have the help. The hunger is this. It should be clear from what we've just seen, That in this man, in this believer, lay a hunger. He tried, he attempted to join the disciples, the believers there in Jerusalem. The King James Version has the word, he essayed. And at the time that that was written, that word meant to attempt. He attempted to join with the believers there in Jerusalem. He made an attempt, an attempt that was fueled 
by a drive, a sentiment, a need to be with the people of God. Now note, that same word disciples is used both here, uh, both of those in Damascus and those in Jerusalem. The difference in Jerusalem would be that in mixed with the disciples would also be the apostles. The Greek word that we translate disciple means a learner. And the Great Commission calls for us to make not converts, but disciples, learners, those who hunger and thirst to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. And Paul, Saul, had that hunger. He sought the joy of being with the people of God. Now here in Jerusalem, it would be a whole society of apostles and disciples. It was a privilege that he sought to be a part of. It was a hunger that, and a yearning that was great inside him. How different from what we see in today's world with the consumerist mentality that exists, especially in our own nation. Christopher Gordon said that we have made the church all about our likes and dislikes. And we are many ways addicted and intoxicated to dopamine. Well, it's dopamine. That's the chemical that your, your brain releases to bring sort of an emotional, euphoric kind of feeling that many, as I, we've been talking in the past uh, uh, month here about some of the things that go on in what is called worship, but there's, there's a psychological principle, and it's found mainly in the music. The music is designed to bring out that kind of reaction to inspire or to get the brain to bring forth this, this chemical. But it's funny, and this is not humor, it's funny, but it's just strange to think that you will find among drug addicts that they don't stay with the same drug all the time. Because after a while, that drug gets boring. That high, well, that's a predictable high. Let's try this. It was pointed out in a recent study, I think, uh, I can't remember which group put it out. Uh, the, there were 10 reasons. I'm going to give the top five. The top five reasons that people in America attend a church. Uh, the first is the people are friendly. The second is they have lots of children's programs. The third the music, the style of worship. The fourth would be, I think it will make me a better person. And then the fifth, sermons and pastors. So I'm set in the middle of the desires 
of people to come to church. In some cases, it's probably in spite of. But it is interesting that for the most part, we see that people choose based on their prerequisites without ever thinking that those prerequisites may come from our fallen nature. And therefore, may very well be flawed. When Saul returns to Jerusalem, he did not seek out the high priest from, from whom he had received letters to go to the churches in Damascus to wreak havoc. He didn't return to give an account of what he, he did, but he went to the disciples, the ones he had formally threatened and even imprisoned, and to the point where some... He saw their execution. But now grace had changed him. Those he had hated and had sought to exterminate, he now loves. I mean, he really loves them. The opposite of the hate that he once had where he, he wished to just get rid of every single one of them, now he wants to be with every single one of them. Those he had desired to drive away, he now seeks their company. Those he attempted to destroy, now he seeks to be part of. We always make it clear that when someone is a believer, they should always seek out a church to be part of. Well, where do you come up with that? Well, here's a good, a good illustration, a good part of it. We are part of the body of Christ when we are saved. And there's no part of the body that goes off by itself. Some of the most deceived people walking the face of the earth say, I can love God without going to his church. No, you can't. It's never been designed that way. And if that's what your statement is, then you don't know what the church is. It's interesting, we... And I'm not going to pick on music here, but I will make a comment. Isn't it interesting we say, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. And yet, there's not a single hymn that says, I'm so glad I'm a part of the body of Christ. See, in a body, you can't shun things. If your shoulder hurts, you can't shun your shoulder. In many families, if someone in the family does wrong, well, we're just not going to deal with them right now. We'll have nothing to do with them. You see, there's a flexibility in the family notion that you can't get rid of with the body. John Gill wrote, to be joined to a church is to become an open subject of Christ's kingdom, a citizen of the heavenly Jerusalem, one of the family of God, and a member of the body of Christ 
visibly. Now Saul was trying to join the assembly of God's people. Yet there are some who seek to find reasons to avoid the assembly. He hungered for it. There are others who say, oh, you know what? There's a heavy grizzly. I think I'll stay home. What qualified Saul to be part of the assembly? And that was faith in Christ and a profession of that faith. That's what made him part of the body of Christ. But now to be part of that body in Jerusalem, he would need some help. That's the second part. He tried to join the apostles or disciples, but they were afraid of him. They only knew him as an enemy. They only know him as a dangerous persecutor, an enemy of Christ and his church. They did not believe he was a disciple. In some countries today, especially some island nations that we might be familiar with. At their gatherings for church or teaching, often there are government agents who sit in on those meetings. And and sometimes they will actually join those churches and, and pretend to be members of that church that they can report back to the government what is going on. Spying on the programs. And at this time, it had already begun too with some of the Jews. They were spying on what was happening. And Paul addresses it in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 4. That's your cue to turn there too if you'd like. Galatians 2 and verse 4, he said, And this occurred because of false brethren secretly brought in who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage to whom we did not yield submission for even for an hour. The truth of the gospel might continue with you. How the saints in Jerusalem felt that there was some kind of wicked plot that Paul had designed so that he continued doing what he was doing, that he was actually trying to infiltrate that church. And as we saw last week, Saul spent some days in Damascus. We're not told exactly how many days that he was there with the disciples, but then He left and went three years to Arabia, and he comes back. And when he comes back, that's when there's the plot to kill him in Damascus. And there's probably the question that some were asking, what was he doing in Arabia? And why 
is he here now? Now, were the people in Jerusalem, were the disciples in Jerusalem wrong? Were they wrong to treat Paul with skepticism? Not really. They were careful about the admission of people into their fellowship. That's a good idea. To be careful. Just because someone comes in, they may have caused havoc in another church. They come into another church and they say, oh yes, we'll be so happy to have you. Well, did you check out this person before you just went and made him part of your assembly? You see, we forget about it. But the church isn't some kind of needy organization, organization that's on its knees begging for people to join. Our doors are open to everyone. Don't get me wrong. Anyone who wants to come in here, I don't care what color they are. I don't care what color their hair is. I don't care even what their what kind of thing they love or person they love or type of person they love or claim to love. But if they come seeking membership, that's a whole different ballgame. Because to be a member of Christ's church means that you must adhere to what he teaches, that he is your Lord and your Savior. And we hope that when people come and they hear the gospel that the Spirit of God will, will change them. I heard someone speaking, just a little side road, just a little side road for a moment. I heard someone speaking last week. I thought it was really marvelous. They said, feminists should be in uproar over the transgender thing because... You have men who claim to be women now are showing women what a woman is supposed to be. I thought, yeah, nobody looks at it that way. But Bruce Jenner, when he became whatever he is now, he is still Bruce. But he dressed a certain way, and he filled out in a certain way, and that was the idea, well, this is how a woman's supposed to look, see? I think if you're a woman, you'd be upset about that. <laughs> well, I get back to the trail that we're on here. Admission into the church has to be something that God, through Christ, by the Spirit, through faith, does to a person. And there's no such thing as side B Christianity or any other terms that come up and people say, well, see, I can, I can be part of the church because I'm, I'm side B. no. No, you're either in Christ and you and you 
you listen and obey to what he says. You may not do it perfectly, but you listen and obey to what he says. You're, you're, you're attempting in your life by the grace of God to live out the Christian life. And somehow, somewhere in America, it's got to come home to people that it's not about you. This all I see, and maybe we need to look in a different area because there are people who are doing things for other people because that's a good thing to do. But the rest of the time, all we hear about is people talking about themselves. Christ should teach us to look out beyond ourselves. To see ourselves for who we are, yes, but also to see others. Well, Saul is not being accepted at this point, so it's going to need, there's going to be need some help that comes along, and the help would come in the person of Barnabas. Barnabas, as we saw last time, was known as the, the name means the son of encouragement. And just as Ananias helped Saul in Damascus, now Barnabas would come to his assistance. We met Barnabas back in, a, in chapter 4 in verse 36 of Acts where he was uh, donating a piece of land to the church, the proceeds from the sale of it. <clears throat> now he would introduce Saul to Peter and to James. For as we read in Galatians chapter 1 and verse 19 as Paul is recounting this episode, we find that the rest of the apostles were not in Jerusalem at the time, just Peter and James. They were the only two there. So it appears that Barnabas sat and listened to Saul as he gave an account on what had happened. And as he listened and heard what Paul was saying, he, he understood and saw that this truly was a work of grace that had been wrought upon the heart of Saul. Wouldn't it be great if we all listened to each other a little more on things like that? There's probably many here that we don't even have an idea how they came to know the Lord. But wouldn't it be great to know how they did that? Isn't it inspiration to know how the Lord had worked in, in so many different lives around us? And so when we come to verse 27, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and he declared them, declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly in Damascus in the name of Jesus. There's a little bit of confusion there as we read it because we're not really sure if it's Barnabas that's speaking there in verse 27 or if it was Paul recounting the things that had happened to the apostles at the time. But it would make sense that it was Saul since the fact that the rest of the, the, the section seems to be Saul speaking. And there's no change of person in the rest of the verses. What a joy it is to tell of God's work of grace. 
What a blessing to hear of God's gracious works. Yeah, there's a lot of basketball going on right now, and it's fun to watch. Bless you, an NC State fan. Oh, Carolyn. If you're an Arkansas fan, things are going here. And it's fun to get together and talk about these things. But you know, something that's even greater is to be able to talk about the way God has blessed us through this week. Or to even say how God had moved in our lives that we were once lost and now we're found. And this is what God did to this lost sinner. In our colonial days, and in some states, even after we were a country, people were fined for not going to church. People were fined for not going to church. And I said, well, whoa, whoa. hold on there. That, that, that's a captive audience, isn't it? And imagine the long faces that many people would have on Sunday morning. Because, i got to go to church, otherwise I'm going to get fined. <laughs> it is so good that we live in freedom because now nobody comes to church and I'm going to go to church today. Nothing shows us the remnants of our old fallen self, our old fallen nature, like the way we often approach the assembly of the church. It can be that sometimes people look for excuses not to come. Ah, oh, it's too late now. Running late. I don't quite feel all that good today. You know the winds from the north? Like cars full of pollen. Oh, it's the children. These children. In all the years of ministry, one of the saddest things I hear in a congregation is when people who are part of a congregation speak of other people in the congregation as those people. Those people. It needs to be us. Us. It's not them. Them are out there. We, us, are here. We should remember that. We don't look at our finger and say, well, those fingers, well, they're my fingers. They belong to me. We should never go to church to get a specific 
emotional high. And, and not that we can't be emotional. I think that's a good thing in so many ways. But if that's the reason why we're going, I want to get a high. I want to feel good. That, that's not really, I mean, maybe go ahead and come. And maybe God by his spirit will change you. So you see things correctly. But again, the church is not about you or me. So we go for joy. The joy of, of knowing that God has called to us to come together to meet with him. We come because of the love that we have of others. That Because God loves them through Christ, we love them too. We come with the hunger. Not to be tribal, but to be with our fellow sojourners who are on the same trip, who have the same destination. The Bible refers to us, where's our citizenship in heaven? What are we doing here on earth? We're strangers and aliens and sojourners. And so we join with those. If you read uh, into the back part of the, uh, the Psalms, when you get to Psalm 129, and you, you read the, the subscript, it says, a song of ascents, ascent. And these were the songs that the people would sing together as they, they ascended the stairs to the temple. I mean, they were worshiping even before they got there, but they were so happy to be together. I understand that we may not be the most desirable people in the world. But then if you say, well, some of us are more desirable than others, what, uh, what is the standard you're using? God said, I, with the, to the... Uh, the Israelites, I chose you not because you were so much choice of the greatest people on the face of the earth, but I set my love on you. And so we love to be in the presence of God's people, not because we're the most wonderful people on the face of the earth, but we are God's people, purchased through the blood of Christ brought into his body, his church. Let's stand together for prayer.